Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Dr. Catherine Perlman. She is the author of the fabulous book, Ignore It, How Selectively Looking the Other Way Can Decrease Behavioral Problems and Increase Parenting Satisfaction. She's appeared on the Today Show, Parenting, Men's Health, CNN, The Huffington Post, and we are so excited to have her on the show today to talk about how to get your teenagers to stop doing annoying things by ignoring it. I'm really interested to talk to Catherine about how you specifically can apply all of the fabulous advice in this book with teenagers. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show. I cannot wait. I think a great place to start usually is just like, how did this happen? Uh, you know, you're founder of this family coach, so you kind of uh, coach families and like how to get through like difficult issues that, that's happening in their family. Um, and, and you have this book called Ignore It. This book, you know, has like a little kid on the cover, but I just really found that a lot of the stuff you talk about in here um, seems so applicable for teenagers. So I'm fascinated by kind of uh, how you got into this, where this family coach thing came from, and then where did the impetus for Ignore It arise? So I've been working as a social worker for 25 years, and in the very beginning of my career, even before I had kids, I worked in a program that helped teenage moms and I would make home visits and help them, you know, through their parenting. And the funny thing is I really knew only what I learned from books. I mean, I really knew very little about what the day-to-day life was with kids, but still I could see some of the problems that they were having and I did my best to help them through it. Then, you know, years later I had my own kids. I saw all the people around me having kids and I thought, you know, a lot of parents could benefit from somebody coming in the home and offering them some advice, some tips that can really improve and make a big difference in the day-to-day experience of parenting. You know, it's a hard job. It's a hard job on the best of days. And it's even harder with a kid who's tantruming or one who doesn't eat anything at the table or siblings that are always fighting. So if I could help parents alleviate some of those things, then parenting gets a whole lot easier. So I started the family coach and I would go into people's homes. I would ask them what's the worst time of day and I would visit then and then help them improve what was going on there. And after doing that enough times, you start to see patterns, right? There's really, you know, five main reasons parents are calling me. And uh, I would start to say the same thing over and over again. And one of the things I said to every parent, no matter what they called for, was ignore it. It didn't matter if it was... um, a toddler or a teenager, <laughs> I was saying ignore it all the time. And then suddenly after, you know, 10 years of this, I started thinking, you know what, this is a book. 
You know, this could help a lot of people mm. in a very simple way improve behavior in the quickest amount of time. And you immediately feel better. So I just decided I was going to take everything I learned from my practice in all of those years and I was going to put it into this book and help parents that way. A lot of people are recommending that parents, you know, um, negotiate with their teens and make the teens feel heard and make they feel like they have a voice. But you kind of point out that like negotiating is not always a good idea because it's parents. Parents never like win that negotiation. Like it, the only thing that's gonna happen if a kid comes and negotiates with you is that they're gonna get more than they had before, right? Like, and so if you give in and you accept their negotiations, then now they've learned the lesson that like, oh, so negotiating works. Uh, and every time I don't want to do something, I go and just like say, hey, actually, mom, this isn't working for me. And like, you'll just go along with it. I think there's a balance because, you know, we want to teach our kids that uh, you should speak up for yourself and like in life when life hands you lemons or whatever you shouldn't just like quietly accept it you know you should go try to negotiate for it but at the same time if you let them keep negotiating with you all the time then they're just going to run all over you essentially right so i was curious what your kind of take on negotiation is and how you think especially with teenagers how you can kind of walk that line so parents really struggle with negotiation and honestly it's exhausting and the thing is, I am a huge believer in talking with your kids, especially teenagers, and working through things with them. So I'm not going to just tell you what we're going to have for dinner. I might ask you, what are the things you like to eat? And I'll try and make more of that. Or, you know, when would you like to do your homework? What's the best thing that works for you? I don't necessarily need to dictate that. Let's let the teenager tell me what works for them. That's great. The problem is negotiation, once you've already given a directive as a parent, you want that directive to stand. So clean up your room before dinner or go to bed by this time period or this is what we're having for dinner. You don't want to say that and say like, or it's time to turn the TV off by 10 o'clock and then have the kids say, how about 10.15? Or this is dinner and they're like, well, can I have something else instead? Or you say, it's time for you to clean your room. And they say, well, can I just do it tomorrow? Every time you say something and then you, the child says, no, can I just do it at 1015? And you're well, like, what if I do this uh, instead? Well, how about yeah. it goes back and forth and back and forth. And so it's exhausting for the parents. Sometimes you just want to say, here's how it's going to be. And that's how it's going to be. So I don't mind parents talking with their kids and making a decision about what's going to work best for the family. But once you say no, like it's time to put the cell phone away or it's time to turn the TV off or this is what's for dinner, then that's it. Because once you negotiate, you are encouraging the child to negotiate for everything forevermore. That makes so much sense. And I think in order to do that, you have to not just like make the decision really quickly. Like you have to know that once you make the decision, you're going to want that decision to stand and you're going to want to not negotiate anymore from that point forward. So I think if you're going to adopt that attitude, then like you say, it makes sense to um, almost negotiate up front a little bit, like get their, get their um, input during the process while you're kind of like um, making whatever decision you're going to make. But then once you make it, uh, stick to it. 
Right. I mean, the thing is, behavior that has a reward is going to be repeated. So if teenagers negotiate with us and the reward is they get an extra dessert, they get more time, screen time, or they get to stay out later with friends because they nagged us and then they get the reward, they're going to do it more often. So it's really important, but it is counterintuitive and it really does take practice. So for me, I go to know really quickly with my kids, like, and maybe sometimes I should stop (laughs) first, think about it. Do we have time for a show? Do we have dessert? Am I okay with it before I just say no? Because once I say no, and then I say yes, after they, you know, complain or beg and bargain or whatever, then I'm encouraging more of that behavior. So it does take practice to stop for a second. Let me think about the request. And then let me come to a decision. And, and, and parents can learn to say, you know what, give me five minutes and I'll get back to you about that. Yeah, or let, me- let me think about that. In fact, let's like let's table that decision until tomorrow because I want to make sure I talk to your sister about it. And I want to make sure Correct. I talk to your dad about it and get a decision that works for everybody. But I'm really glad that you um, brought it up. Yeah. And then the other thing is it does take practice when the when you say so let's say you say I'm going to think about it we'll talk about it and you come to a decision that the teenager doesn't like so inevitably there's going to be complaining tantruming yelling cursing yeah. you know button pushing all this kind of stuff that you just have to handle and that's what you ignore because if you respond to that the teenager gets what they want even if they don't get to stay out later they get attention and they get you angry and sometimes that's very rewarding it's like if i can't get what i want and i'm angry at least i can make you angry so it really takes right. practice they're kind for the of parent. punishing you exactly and it works so yeah and then yeah. sometimes we lose our patience and then the kid's like great that was effective i didn't get what i wanted but my behavior still got a reward so it really takes practice for the parent to say it's okay for the kid to be angry and to express it and i'm just not going to respond and once the parent does that a few times the kids get it. Like, it's over. Like, you've already said no. You've turned your back. You're walking away. It doesn't matter how much I curse or yell at you. Nothing's going to happen. So there's no benefit. I might as well not even bother. And actually, you point out that... uh you know, you call it an extinction burst. Like, sometimes it actually gets worse before it gets better. Um, And so... I guess, uh, how do you know, um, you know, how do you know if it's working or not? And how do you know if, uh, you know, maybe you've just got like, uh, you're, you're dealing with a situation that they ignore it is not going to work on, or you're dealing with a kid that's just super defiant and they're, it's, it's getting, getting worse instead of better. Uh, how do you know whether it's something to be worried about or whether it's just an extinction burst? Right. So the extinction burst is sometimes things get worse before they get better. Because think about it. If you've had a teenager who for years has been negotiating and generally it's successful, they usually get a little something that they want. Even if one out of 20 times they get what they want, it's enough to be reinforcing. And now the rules have changed. So the kid doesn't really believe it. So what they're going to do is they're going to try and break the parent and try even harder, make the behavior even worse. And then they're like, wow, still nothing. I still don't get what I want. Let me make it even worse than that. And they try that and still nothing, then they give it up. And it usually doesn't take very long. But the parent has to stay consistent and continue to ignore it without you know, providing any feedback or positive reinforcement. So it can take time and sometimes things do get worse. And so for parents, a lot of times when things get worse, that's when they give it up. They're like, this isn't working. But that is actually a sign that it is working. The kid is getting the message and they're frustrated. That makes perfect sense because right. it always worked before. So if they're it's, trying it, harder. Exactly. They're trying harder. Just wait it out. Keep, keep ignoring it. And, and also make sure 
you're ignoring only things in response to when you've said no or put down a requirement when they're being annoying and button pushing battle of wills behavior. Make sure you're only ignoring that stuff and you're not really ignoring them when they're trying to have a conversation with you or or something that's important, you know. But but generally it's this they're ignoring the right stuff and it's getting worse because the kid is not accustomed to this. But keep going and it, it will pass. How do you make sure that you're ignoring just the behavior and not the kid? You mean if they're like if they're doing something that's annoying but then at the same time there's like they're, uh, they are trying to start a conversation yet, uh, with you about, right. uh, you know, something that happened at uh, school today. Or so, like, how do you balance that so that they don't feel like they're not being seen, but that they do get the message that the behavior is not getting through? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I try and teach parents to have a high tolerance for what they claim disrespectful behavior is and for the package, you know. The job of a teenager is to develop skills to become independent, and that happens over time in a kind of messy way a lot of times. <laughs> there are mistakes and there are bumps in the road. not always a clean break. No, yeah, exactly, right. and that's, that's good, actually. We want them to make mistakes while they're still in the safety of their parents and their home, and they can get some support and, and, and work through problems. If they have no issues or problems with parents, you know, who are you know really helicoptering and involved, then the kids go off to college and believe me, it hits there and it doesn't go very well. Or they go into adulthood and they're really lost. So we want them to have this kind of up and down and some difficulties and make mistakes and forget homework or you know fail a test or you know get kicked off the team, whatever it is, make their mistakes now and, and work through it. So I try and teach parents to not look so much at the package that what's coming to you, not look so much about the tone of voice, um, but hear what's happening. You know, really try and listen to, to what's going on or, or what, where's this all coming from? So for example, with my kid, I have a teenager, I have a 16 year old. I can look at her and I can just ask her a simple question and I get just nastiness back. It's not about me. It's not about my question. It's about her stress level with school or her anxiety about um, a change that's about to happen or um, a game that's coming up or she's hungry, you know, or she's tired. I, you know, right. you've got to kind of see the bigger picture sometimes. And for me, when I see that behavior, that's a sign for me to back up a little bit, give them a little bit more space. Or for other kids, it might be give them more attention. They're not getting enough. They're, they're, they're needing a little bit more. And that's where the re-engaging part happens. You know, ignore some of the obnoxious behavior, but get in there. Play a video game with your kid and try and talk it out. Ask the kid to go for a walk, you know, with the dog. Um, get him in the kitchen to help you. Just try and engage in a positive way and give them space to talk in a more open way. You know, if you say to your teenager, what's wrong? You know, why are you so cranky or what? You're not going to get anything. But right. if you're sitting down playing a game or you're playing a video game or you're walking or you're in the car, it's just the best place for this to happen. And you're not face to face yeah. and the kid is a little distracted. You're going to get to a little bit more of the underlying. So ignore some of the behavior, but not the kid. Get in there, re-engage and find out what's going on. So then how do we figure out like which behaviors 
fit into this kind of framework and which ones don't. Because, um, you know, a lot of parenting books are like, oh, this will solve everything. You can use this on every possible thing your kid ever does. And like, you know, um, uh, nothing works on everything, right? So there, right. I mean, there's some things. There's some things that like wouldn't be a good idea to ignore, um, and you kind of make some really cool distinctions. So how, uh, as you're kind of looking at the behavior that your teenager is presenting with, how do you make that decision of like, is this a ignore it type behavior, or is this a behavior that I really actually need to address? Right. So anything that happens immediately after we say no to a request that we can ignore, right? That's just tantrum sure. behavior. That we can right. ignore, whining, complaining, negotiating, all that stuff that happens after we say no, that can be ignored. Anything that's annoying is best to ignore because the I, I've had kids and adults even tell me this. They used to do it to their siblings. My sister used to do it to me. The most reinforcing thing is to say, that's annoying. And then the kid's like, really? Kicking the back of your seat is annoying? Let me do it more often. Um, it's <laughs> just- Exactly. I mean, it happens with siblings all the time. You know, um, one goes running to the parent to complain. You're like, ha ha, I got you angry. And then you got in trouble. Um, so it's very reinforcing. So anything that's annoying, best to say nothing. Same thing with teenagers when they're cursing at you, they're being disrespectful, they're pushing your buttons. The only reason they're doing that is so that you can get angry and then that will reinforce and reward their behaviors. So don't do anything uh, about that. So the things that you can ignore are few, but really important. So you can't ignore real pain. You know, if your kid is crying because you said no to something and they're throwing a little tantrum, you can ignore that. But if your kid is really suffering through something or is really in pain about something or is um, sad, hurt, we're never going to ignore that. You know, we, we got to get in and, and discuss that. We never ignore something where someone else is getting hurt. You know, like a kid throwing toys at someone else or, you know, punching a sibling or something like that or vandalism. You know, I was once in a supermarket and um, a kid was throwing things off the shelves. You know, you can't just like look the other way and ignore it and just keep going. You know, that's <laughs> someone else's property. You got to address that. So, um, you know, anything like that, you've got to get involved. And then the last thing that's like the most important thing that we can't ignore is the good behavior. And what I have found mm. being in people's homes and thousands of homes is that parents are so quick to um, adjust behavior and give feedback on negative behavior and try and do teaching moments and improve their kids all the time that they're forgetting all of the good behavior. And if you don't reward the good behavior, it goes bye-bye, right? Remember we said if there's a reward, it'll yeah. get repeated. So if it's no reward, it's not going to get repeated. And so we don't recognize the good things our kids do and they stop saying, do, they stop doing it. And I try and tell people, like, imagine, you know, you're at work and you worked really hard on this project and it took weeks and you're so proud of it and you handed it in and your boss said nothing, like no response whatsoever, no feedback. You know, you'd be like, well, I'm going to try less hard next time. Like nobody cares. Yeah, right, so right. Why did I just work so hard on this thing if no one even noticed? Right. And parents spend so much time on the negative stuff and improving and teaching moments that they spend so little time. I've even had parents like log in a day. I don't want you to fix anything. I don't want you to do anything. I just for a week, I want you to observe yourself and log when you say something to your kid about good behavior and when you're saying something about negative behavior. And it's like, it's the scale is like so far tipped and it really does wow. take practice just like everything else. But you know, we gotta thank our kids for doing the chores. We gotta tell them great job for good behavior. We gotta thank them for, you know, helping us with the, supermarket bags when we get home if we don't they're gonna forget and they're not gonna bother with it 
I think that's so true, and it's kind of the flip side of this whole, uh, you know, this basically this book is based on conditioning, right? It's like uh, what what gets rewarded gets repeated, and uh, you know, it goes both ways. I think that's a, a great point. You know, you've walked us through how to tell whether it's something that you could that you could ignore. We've kind of talked about how to, uh, you know, do the ignoring. But I like what you where you go after that, which is then that once it's once the behavior stops, then you immediately have to reengage. And so I, I was wondering if you could just kind of talk a little bit about how the reengagement process works. It ties right into what you were just saying, where good behaviors have to be rewarded. So it's like once they stop doing the thing that you don't want them to do, then they kind of need a little pot of gold for doing that, right? Or you have to now um, immediately stop ignoring them and kind of reconnect and give them some attention. Right. So the thing is, if we don't get them attention, they're just going to go right back to doing bad things to get our attention. And we're ignoring their behavior briefly just so that we don't reinforce it, that we don't give a reward or a benefit to the behavior so it doesn't get repeated. But as soon as they're done with the behavior, we have to re-engage them. We can't just stay mad. We have to just breathe through the part where they're tantruming and complaining and negotiating and whining and pushing our buttons. But the second it stops, we just change the subject. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to sit down for dinner? Where, are you coming with us to grandma's? Like, just moving on like it didn't happen. And then the kid will get over it. And what, one of the things I love so much about Ignore It is how, especially for teens, the, the relationship between the parent and the teen improves almost immediately. Because, you know, parenting a teen is not always pleasant. They really push our buttons. They're going through a lot of their own stuff. They're pushing back. They're trying to be independent. They're not around as often. There's just a lot of emotional roller coaster riding that goes on. And uh, parents can feel very um, uh, conflicted with their teenagers. But once you step away and you stop engaging in these little battle of wills, a lot of times you like your kid more. You know, you feel more warm towards mm. them. Your relationship improves and the same way from them to you. And it's actually really beautiful when you start, when you, when you stop nitpicking all of their behaviors and the annoying stuff and their clothing and the way they do their hair and the just the stupid little things that are meaningless and you start praising the good stuff, it's like all of a sudden the relationship blossoms. And this is, you know, everyone knows when they have a kid that they're really struggling with. This is so important to do because the bottom line is you want to have a long lasting relationship with your kid. Soon they'll probably leave the house and you want them to still call you and visit and you want to still have an adult relationship. And so being able to step back from the stuff that's not important and stop with the bickering over little stuff and they're pushing your buttons the relationship can really blossom before they leave the house and even once they have left. I've, I've talked to people about doing this with your college kids when they come home and, and even your adult kids. So um, uh, it's really, it's really life-saving for the relationship. So, okay, but then after you re-engage and kind of get things, you're back now talking in a, uh, they're not doing the annoying thing anymore. Do you ever like, address it if like a few days later or something like that do you ever come back and say like hey I wanted to talk about what was happening um, a few days ago or do you just like it just pretend that it just never existed mostly I pretend that it never existed because let's be honest the kids know that it's disrespectful to yell and scream in your face they know it's disrespectful to slam the door they know you don't like it 
You've already told them. They know you don't like cursing. You've already told them. They're just angry and they're out of control in that minute and they're really trying to push your buttons. So really having the discussion after you re-engage or even the next day, it's almost like a waste of time and it can be reinforcing again for that same behavior. Um, yeah, so they weren't completely ignoring it. They did see that it happened. And like, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. You're still talking about it. Okay, it was effective. I'm going to try that again next time. I really hurt your yeah. feelings. Wonderful. That was what oh, I was trying to do. So um, it's really not important to discuss it. I love when parents have good conversations with their kids about um, behavior and feelings, but not when something's going on and not in response to something. So by all means, sit down to dinner and talk about something that's been on your mind, but not a previous argument that's happened. You know, you might say, um, I have, I, I've just not really felt connected to you lately. Maybe we could do something together this weekend. That's so much better than rehashing uh, yeah. a bad moment that happened in the past. We are here with Dr. Katherine Perlman talking about how to get your teenagers to stop doing annoying stuff by ignoring it, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. So instead of saying, um, you know, clean up your room, you know, be specific. Laundry goes in the laundry basket, you know, by Friday. Natural consequences is the best thing that ever happened to parents because <laughs> you don't have to do the punishing. You don't have to be the nag. The child learns the lesson on their own, and that is, that is the best kind of learning. And then the other thing I tell parents is, what's your end goal with this kid? Is your end goal for them to be the neatest, the smartest, the most successful? <laughs> to clean or is their your... room all the time for the rest of their life? Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Or is your goal to have a long-lasting relationship with your kid for them to be happy and to be able to support themselves? Like when you have little kids, you can parent them in a much more hands-on, I said kind of way. But right, with command and control. Exactly. And it's very uncomfortable for parents to let go of some of that control. I get that completely. I really liked the control of picking out my kids' clothes and their sheets and designing their room. Like, I like doing all that stuff. And it's very hard for me to see their hair go in all kinds of directions and what they want to wear and all that stuff. I like to control that stuff. I'm thinking in my head, really? But I say nothing. Why? because I want to preserve my relationship. That is the most important thing. I love my kids. I want to have a long relationship with them. And it is not going to benefit anybody for me to nitpick all of the little things that happen around the house. And as soon as you let that stuff go, it actually feels better. Like parents report feeling like they're, not only is their relationship better, they just feel more at ease. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.